Amen. Well, we are starting a brand new series today called Slow Down. And we have a very special guest with us today. His name is Lance Witt. For those of you who have heard him before, you know what a treat um, we are in for today. Lance was in pastoral ministry for many years and then transitioned into a more supportive role. He runs Replenish, and he really specializes in what we're talking about today, slowing down and being more thoughtful about the way we spend our life. So would you all put your hands together and welcome our guest speaker today, Lance Witt. Thank you, Mary. Wow, it's great to be back at City Church. I love coming here, love Pastor Scott and Mary. They've become such dear friends of mine over the years, and uh, I'm actually honored and humbled and actually a little surprised that they keep inviting me back. So I, I really appreciate that. Um, you know, I want to also just say that um, I really love your team here. I'm getting to know some of the team, and you guys are blessed to have such a great team leading you at City Church. And could you, uh, yeah. Could we also put our hands together and just welcome by video the campus out at Pahuska and just say welcome to them as well? We're so glad to have you guys joining us this morning. Well, Welcome to 2024, and I've got some great news for you on this Sunday morning that is pretty much going to solve all of your problems. What? You sound suspicious. This year, you're not going to get just 365 days. Because it's a leap year, you're going to get 366 days this year. Think about that. You have an extra 24 hours that's going to get deposited into your account so that you can get done everything that you need to get done, right? Everything's going to be better because we got that extra day. You know, we don't usually give it a lot of thought, but time is such an incredible gift and an incredible resource. I mean, think about that this morning. You have limitless options of what you could do with the time that you've been given. But here's the deal. Once you spend it, you don't get it back. What you do with the seconds and the minutes and the hours and the days that you have, you can use them for a lot of different things, but you only get one shot at each moment. That's why I think the psalmist in Psalm 90:12 was so wise when he said to us, number your days. Lord, teach us to number our days so that we can live wisely. The psalmist says, recognize that you only have a limited time on the planet. And so pay attention to your days and be a good steward of the time that you have so that you can live wisely. And that's exactly what we're going to focus on in this first month of 2024. We're beginning a series this morning all about how you spend your time. And we're calling this series, Slow Down. There's a saying that I think a lot about, and I think it's helpful for this morning. It goes like this. Always do what your future self will thank you for. Always make choices and commit to actions that your future self, the person you want to be five years from now, 10 years from now, would look back and go, thank you for making that decision. And I really believe that if you will put into practice what we're going to talk about in this month, that your future self will rise up and call you blessed. Before we get into 
practical ideas and suggestions about all that you do with your life and your time, I think it's important for us to take an honest assessment of kind of where we are right in this moment. Because for a lot of us, we just came off of the whirlwind of the month of December. And you feel it. And some of you, even as you come today, you're feeling like, man, I'm entering 2024 pretty tired, pretty exhausted. Last night, I was telling Pastors Mary and uh, Scott about an experience I had about five or six years ago. It was December the 28th. It was early in the morning. No one else in the house was up yet. And I was up reading my Bible, just spending time alone. And I just felt this angst and stress in my soul. And as I was reflecting on the Christmas season, it just had not been very enjoyable. We'd spent more money than we should have spent. It felt frantic. It felt like we said yes to a bunch of things we shouldn't have said yes to. And the honest truth was, it just really wasn't much fun. And in that moment, I was frustrated, mostly frustrated at myself because I know better. And so I sat down and I, I wrote out some notes of how we should have and could in the future do Christmas a little bit differently. And then when I got through writing that page of notes, I went to my calendar on the following year, and I went to November 1st, and in all caps, I made an appointment with myself, and here's what I said. Read your notes from last Christmas, because I was committed to doing it differently, and I think that's the way a lot of us are coming in to this year, coming out of the busy month of December. Proverbs 14.8 says this, the wisdom of the prudent is to give thought to their ways. Wise people step back and go, okay, how am I living and am I happy with the results that I'm getting from the way that I'm living? And then he goes on to say, the folly of fools is deception. I lead a ministry called Replenish, which is all about living and leading from a healthy soul. And the whole journey of that ministry flows out of my own story and my own struggle to be a healthy person and to be a healthy leader. And a lot of that struggle finds its roots in this whole issue of pace and rhythm and schedule, and how I spend my time. So I thought this morning, just to be candid and honest and transparent, I probably should begin with a confession. Hi, my name is Lance Witt, and I am a hurry addict. This is where you guys say, hi, Lance, like we're in a support group. Thank you, thank you. My whole life, I've always been a hurrier. I wish I had a, a dollar for every time my kids would have heard me say in an irritated voice, could you please hurry up? Or how many times I've been walking with my wife and I end up three steps ahead of her and finally she'll stop and in frustration, she'll say, are you going to walk with me or in front of me? And what I want to say is if you'll hurry up, I'll walk with you. But 45 years of marriage has taught me some restraint and so I just apologize and slow down. But whether I'm at the airport or listening to a long, drawn-out story or sitting at a long stoplight, those five words kind of are indicative and symptomatic of this internal struggle I have. Those five words are, could you please hurry up? But what I've discovered about myself is that worse than my hurried step is actually my hurried spirit. And part of what I want you to hear this morning is that the real issue is not about what's going on around you, it's about what's going on inside of you. So I've been thinking about starting a support group for compulsive hurriers, if some of you would like to join. 
The good news is our meetings won't last long because we got stuff to do and places to go, right? So I travel a lot, and one of the places that I struggle with this is airports. Because if you've got hurry sickness like I do, long lines, waiting uh, you know, at the airport is like an extreme sport, right? Whether you're checking in at the counter and checking in your luggage or you're going through security or you get to the gate and you're about to board and there's a delay and then you, you're getting on the, the plane and you're figuring out how to strategically get off the plane quicker than other people. And then when you get to baggage claim, you're strategically positioning yourself so that you are right there when the bag comes off the conveyor belt. And if you've got hurry sickness, you're always trying to figure out how do you shave a few seconds off of your experience. Now, I know some of you are looking at me and you go, he has issues. And, and you're right, but I suspect I'm not the only one in the room with issues. In fact, my experience is I have this love-hate relationship with busyness. Um, in one way, I hate being hurried and having the hassle of an overcrowded schedule. But if I'm also honest, I would say, but I sort of like being in demand and I like the adrenaline rush of a fast-paced life. And... By nature, I've always been an active person. I like being busy. I, I'm, I'm driven. I'm always trying to figure out how to be more productive and how to not waste time and to get more done in less time. And, and so my calendar ends up being filled all the time, and I have the feeling of regret of this hassle of an overcommitted schedule. And, and I don't sit still very well, and my wife tells me all the time that I have trouble relaxing. You've probably never heard the name Eric Bryn, but Eric became famous in 1969 when he appeared for the first time on an old TV variety show called The Ed Sullivan Show. And what Eric did in his claim to fame was that he would spin plates. And so he had these four foot long sticks and on top of the sticks, he would start spinning these plates and he would get eight plates going at once and then he would start adding bowls and the trick of, Eric's, of Eric Brin's act was that just when a plate or a bowl was about to come to a complete stop and wobble and drop to the ground, he would frantically rush over and get it spinning again until he had all eight plates and all five bowls spinning. And I remember as a kid watching that on TV and thinking it was both exhilarating and stressful to watch him. And yet that analogy, that plate-spinning metaphor, I think is a good picture of how a lot of us live our lives. We're frantically every day just going from one thing to the next, trying to make sure that nothing drops, that we're taking care of our health, that we're managing our finances, that we're spending time with God, that we have a good relationship with our kids, that our car has the oil changed, and we just keep working to spin the plates. And it's exhilarating and exhausting all at the same time. And so whenever in the past I would hear some pastor or some speaker talk about living a life of balance, plate spinning was the picture that came to my mind. I pictured living my life in such a way that all the plates were spinning in perfect harmony and balance and seamless and low stress. And I got to be honest, and maybe you feel this way, that a life of balance just feels like a pipe dream to me. Something that just doesn't feel realistic or even attainable. And I think, to be honest, I don't know that I've ever had one moment of complete balance in my life where all the plates of my world were spinning perfectly and smoothly. 
Maybe that's where you find yourself kind of tired coming out of December, spinning a bunch of plates, and just wondering, is there a better way to do this? Well, I want to take you to a passage of scripture that's well known to a lot of us, but it's Matthew chapter 11, and these words come straight from the lips of Jesus. And what I want you to hear in these words today is a personal invitation to you. I want you to imagine Jesus standing in front of you and actually speaking these words to you this morning. He says, come to me, all you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you because I'm humble and gentle at heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear, and the burden I give you is light. Jesus says, come to me. I, I, I can help you. Do life differently. Do life in a better way, in a way that's not so exhausting. And so I want to give you some insights from the passage that I think are applicable to us this morning. First off, notice that Jesus extends a kind and gracious invitation. Doesn't his offer sound good? A life that is restful, that takes away some of the burden, a way of doing life that Jesus says is even easy and light, not frantic, not stressed, not overcommitted, not, not soul-draining. And then notice some of the words he uses and even the kind of language. He says, come, come to me. I know you're burdened. I know that life is weighing you down. I know that you feel exhausted. And then Jesus says, I can help. I, and I love how Jesus describes himself in this passage. He says, I'm humble and gentle. I'm not harsh. I'm not angry at you. I'm not a cruel taskmaster who, who cracks the whip over your life. Jesus says, no, actually, I'm gentle and humble and want to help. And then he says, my yoke, my way of doing life is easy and the burden is light. I'm, I, what I hear in Jesus' words is there is a better way. And, and what I got to tell you is when I've done my li life my way and, and kind of the world's way, there's been a price to pay for that. And I thought through like some of the ways that it shows up in my life when my life is out of control, when my schedule is overcommitted. I end up with things like I end up being irritable, not easy to get along with, emotionally thin, like I'm not able to absorb the potholes of life when they come up against my world. I find myself restless, unable to relax or just enjoy the moment. I feel exhausted and empty at times. There's not much compassion when my life is out of control. And then I begin to feel physical strain and stress. My friend Peace Cazero says, your body is not a minor prophet, it's a major prophet. And it lets you know when something's going on inside of you. And some of you even feel that today, like labored breathing. You have elevated heart rate and blood pressure and you have poor eating habits and you have a tightness in your shoulders that's all because of the pace of your life. And then when your life is out of control, you don't really pay attention to your inner life and you're not very self-aware about how your pace is actually leaking out on the other people around you. And when you run fast and hard all the time, you begin to skim relationally and rather than having deep relationships, you have shallow relationships that often aren't very fulfilling. And then 
you don't really have time to have a meaningful connection to God, and so your spiritual life just feels a little bit mechanical. Here's what I want you to hear. Lack of margin, lack of rest, does violence to your soul and to your body. And it makes you less loving. When you live a life of compulsive busyness and constant hurry, here's what I can tell you from experience. You end up being someone you don't really want to be. See, hurry and love are like oil and water. They just don't mix together very well. So I have a friend named Kervin, and years ago, Kervin got diagnosed with cancer, and he was going to be out for some treatments, and he was going to be out for about three or four months, and so I had offered to come to this church in Calgary and help out some while he was out. Well, on the day he was supposed to come back to the office, I was actually in Calgary, and I was had arranged for he and I to have lunch together, and I was anxious to talk to him about what his experience had been over these last three or four months. The prognosis looked good, but he'd had a, a scare that could have ended his life, and he'd had all this time now to reflect, and so I remember just sitting with him at lunch, and I said, okay, Kervin, you've had all these months now, like, what have you thought about? What has God taught you over these three months? And without missing a beat, here's what he said to me. Hurry destroys relationships. Wow. Let those words soak in for a minute. Hurry destroys relationships. And one of the things that I'm trying to work on and learn in my life is this truth. Frantic and deep don't go together. Hurry and intimacy don't mix well, and fast and presence don't go together. You see, you can't live life at warp speed without warping your soul. There's a better way. And so I also love in this passage, the second thing I want you to see here is that Jesus acknowledges the weight of life. I mean, you can hear the compassion in Jesus' words as he says, come to me. I know you feel beat up. You feel exhausted, you feel empty, you feel buried by the demands of life. And people living in Jesus' day in the first century had lots of challenges that you and I don't face. But when it comes to time, I think they actually had some advantages over us. Because slow was built into the ancient way of doing life. When the sun went down, their day was mostly over. And when the Bible says that Jesus went to Jericho... In Mark chapter 10, it wasn't a 15-minute car ride. It was an all-day walk on a dusty road. Think about what it would have been like to live before technology and transportation, before cars and planes and email and internet and iPhones, and everything was much slower and much less frantic. But you and I live in a very different world. And so it's even more important that you and I be intentional and proactive about managing the pace of our lives. So today, life is much more convenient, but that doesn't mean it's less complex. Just because it's easier in some ways doesn't mean it's less complicated. To, to validate that, I recently read a study, 39% of Americans reported being anxious, more anxious than they were the previous year. And by the way, that was in 2018, pre-COVID. One of the things that contributes to the stress that we feel is that everything just keeps getting faster and quicker. 
And the world is filled with noise 24-7. And we've become adrenaline junkies. And we can't seem to figure out how to get off the treadmill and how to slow down. And the result of a lot of our lives is there's little margin, no space, no time. We end up exhausted. And we don't know how to just be. We're constantly, incessantly consumed with doing. We don't know how to be alone. We don't know how to be quiet. I remember reading recently about a study that was done at the University of Virginia, and they had all these people who agreed to the study, and they were going to put them in a room with a buzzer, and that when you pushed the buzzer, it shocked you. In fact, prior to people going in the room, they exposed them to the shock of this buzzer, and it was a pretty substantial shock and actually was a little bit painful. And so they put people in this room for 15 minutes. And there was nothing in the room, nothing to read, no phones, no music, nothing on the walls. It was an absolutely sterile environment, and there was a table and a chair, and in the middle of the table was this box that had the buzzer that would shock you. And so they just let people sit in the room for 15 minutes. You think anybody pushed the buzzer? Listen to this. One-third of all the women pushed the buzzer rather than just sit there by themselves in silence. You want to guess how many men did? Two-thirds. Now, the moral of that story is not, ladies, that you are brighter than the men. That might be your takeaway. But the real takeaway is we don't know how to sit still. We don't know how to just be alone with our thoughts. And I guarantee you, I would have pushed the buttons. And I love the fact that in this passage, Jesus says, I get it. I know life is demanding and that the pressures you carry are real. And then I love that the next thing he does is he offers us rest. Notice what Jesus doesn't say. He doesn't say, hey, come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened and exhausted, and I'm going to give you the easy three steps to success. You know what else he doesn't say? Um, hey, if you'll come to me, I'll show you how to live with prosperity and have financial peace and, and a windfall. He doesn't say that. He doesn't say, uh, come to me and I'll show you how to live a life that is problem-free. No. He says, I, I want to give you rest. I want you to live and experience life from a place of rest. There's another verse that I love in Jeremiah chapter 6 where it says, this is what the Lord says. Stop at the crossroads and look around. Take a moment. Look ahead. Ask for the old, he says, the godly way, the old godly way, and walk in it. Travel its path and then get this phrase, and you'll find rest for your souls. But what was the reply? Now nah, that's not the road we want. We like doing it our way. We like fast and frantic. But what an incredible promise. And I just wonder that for some of us who are sitting here this morning, that what you deeply long for, what you really want, what you need, is to find out how to live from that place of rest and to recalibrate your life. But here, here's the punchline, and it's the fourth insight. It's going to require you doing life Jesus' way. You see, becoming a Christian isn't just about punching your ticket to heaven. Being an authentic follower of Jesus in this life 
requires you signing up to be his apprentice, to learn how to be like him, to do life like him. Because you see, Jesus didn't come and live on the planet for 33 years just to teach us what to believe. He actually came and modeled for us and showed us how to live. And it's interesting that when you read the Gospels, you know what you never see? You never find Jesus hurried, rushed, preoccupied, frazzled. He's not looking past the person he's with to the next thing. One day when Dallas Willard was asked to find the one word that would describe the life of Jesus in the Gospels, you know what he said? Relaxed. Isn't that interesting? Now, what I don't want you to do is let Willard's description of Jesus paint a, an unrealistic picture. Like you might think, well, Jesus must have had then an easy, cushy, sort of comfortable existence, easygoing, non-demanding life. But that's not true. When you read the Gospels, it's anything but that. There were relentless demands, pressure, opposition. He was run out of town, mocked, ridiculed, and eventually crucified. Jesus was fully engaged in the messiness of life, and yet, listen, he was unhurried, undistracted, and did life from a place of rest. And so Jesus challenges us. I want to give you rest, but you've got to take my yoke upon you. Now, that's an image that we don't probably think about or use a lot in 2024, but I want you to listen to the words of a New Testament scholar named Frederick Bruner, because I think he nails it. Listen to what he says. A yoke is a work instrument. Thus, when Jesus offers a yoke, he offers what we might think tired workers need least. What they really need is a mattress or a vacation, not a yoke. But then he goes on to say, but Jesus realizes that the most restful gift he can give the tired is a new way to carry life, a fresh way to bear responsibilities. And instead of offering escape, Jesus offers equipment. And I think we need different equipment to carry the load of life. And part of that equipment is a plan for living a Jesus kind of rhythm, to stop buying the lie of the world, to just go hard and go fast all the time and hurry and strive and keep pressing. Jesus says there's a better way. So I want to give you what I believe is the biblical rhythm. It's the Jesus rhythm, and it's one that he wants us to adopt if we're going to live from a place of rest. So here's the rhythm. Work really hard and then unplug really hard. Work hard unplug hard. Notice Jesus never talks about balance. Now, I want you to hear me clearly. Jesus is not opposed to hard work. He is not opposed to an active personality. But what he does want us to recognize is that no matter how you're wired, all of us have limits. And one of the biggest lessons I've been trying to learn over the last 15 years is to actually embrace my limits as a gift from God. And some of you have limits because of the season of life you're in. Some of you have limits because you still have kids at home. Some of you have limits because of health issues. Some of you have limits in all different kinds of ways, right? Energy levels, all of that. And part 
of doing life Jesus' way is recognizing that you have limits and learning to live within those limits. All right, let me give you one last insight, and then I'm going to finish with some like practical challenges. But here's the last insight from the passage. Rest is both internal and external. It's not just about arranging your calendar or saying no to a few things in your life. I've always tried to deal with my drivenness and compulsive busyness by tweaking my calendar, thinking that if I could just figure out how to work smarter and not harder, I could actually get everything done on my to-do list and live out the things that I said were most important to me. And I remember one day kind of messing with some stuff on my calendar. It was like the Holy Spirit just took the spotlight off my calendar put it on my soul, and began to ask me questions like, Lance, so why are you so busy? Why do you always have to say yes to everything? And why do you overcommit? And why can you not relax and be still? And part of what came out of that experience is for me to realize that this wasn't just a calendar issue. There was something much deeper going on. And so if you struggle with busyness and hurry, you need to examine why, what's really driving you, what's going on inside of you. And in recent years, I've been on a a path to detox from busyness and hurry. And I got to be honest, I like the results I'm seeing in my life. Over the last few years, I've been doing some hard internal soul work, and I'm beginning to understand that there's some broken stuff inside of me (coughs) that drives me to my compulsive busyness. But I'm learning to be more present, to slow down my internal RPMs, and it feels good. And I think where most of us struggle is like, how do I actually get off the treadmill? What does it look like practically to make those kinds of changes? Because in the current of everyday modern life, it just feels almost impossible to slow down. So let me close by giving you four practical suggestions. Number one, own it. Like you're responsible for how you steward your time. God's given you every resource that you need. He's given you the Bible. He's given you a biblical community. He's given you the Holy Spirit. So you are responsible. And I think for us not to play the victim card (laughs) and to realize We have more control than we think we do over our time in life. And I get it. There are things you don't control. Maybe certain parts of your job or a circumstance that you're dealing with that you you don't have any control over. But what you do have control over, I want to encourage you to own it. Put a stake in the ground and go, I'm responsible for the pace of my life and the health of my soul. Secondly, grab your calendar by the throat. Your calendar is where your time and your values converge. Show me where your time goes, and I'll tell you what you truly value. And a lot of us have what I call a a faulty theology of availability. We think that whatever people ask of us, the answer should be yes. Let me tell you what you would never do. You would never think of just putting your wallet out on the table or on your desk in your office and telling people when they come in, hey, just take whatever you want, any credit card, any cash, just take whatever you need. But we do that all the time with our calendars. We let everybody else dictate sort of where our time goes. And 
we think what it means to be a good Christian is that you always have to say yes, and yet that is not how Jesus lived. He regularly let needs go unmet. He didn't say yes to every request that was made of him. Even when the crowds were clamoring after him, sometimes he would just withdraw and go to a quiet place all by himself. And so if you want to experience life from a place of rest, you're going to have to be proactive about your calendar and grab your calendar by the throat. Here's the third practical challenge. I want you to learn to develop your no muscle. So let's go ahead and try this. I want you right now just to put your, your tongue against the roof of your mouth, and I want you to make that in sound. Can you do that? Do go in, in, right? Now, let it go, and then let an O roll off of your lips. O, like no. See, you guys can say it. You can get there. Some of us really struggle with this, right? We don't want to let people down. We are, you know, approval addicts, and I love what Anne Lamott, she says, no is a complete sentence. This is really personal for me because I've had this long battle of people-pleasing, and after a lot of soul-searching, I'm aware that my aversion to no really comes from in here. It's lack of boundaries, it's not embracing my limits, it's being unclear about my values, it's not having courage at times, it's being insecure, and I suffer from what I affectionately call terminal niceness. And what I'm learning to believe is that saying no is not unkind and it's not uncaring. In fact, here's a really important truth. When you say no, it allows you to say yes to the higher values in your life. And what you need to identify is the higher yeses in your life and let those become the filters for what you say yes to and what you say no to. And so some of us, we need to practice and flex the muscle of learning to say, no, I'm not going to commit to that. That's not a value for me. And it's going to eat up time and energy I don't want to give. All right, let me give you the last challenge. Choose slow. You go, really? But slow is a choice we make. We are not, listen, we are not the victims of a fast-paced life. We are the perpetrators. It's because of choices that I've made that my life has been out of control. So I want to give you some practical suggestions that your mind and your body are going to revolt against. So let me warn you, these ideas are going to sound crazy to some of you but they will lead you on a path to a more relaxed body and soul. So here we go. Intentionally drive behind a slow car. All right, I know I just lost some of you. You go, there's not a chance that's going to happen. Intentionally get in the longest line at the store. Intentionally walk slower. Intentionally take a longer route home from work. Intentionally slow down when you're tucking your kids in or reading them a story. Intentionally eat a little bit slower. Savor the flavor instead of just gulping down your meal. Intentionally Put space in your workday. Intentionally slow down your time 
with God. So here's how I want you to think about this. What if this week you just said, man, just with three seconds, if I would just take three seconds and slow down, I could actually turn something that is very mundane, I could actually turn it into a moment. I could actually take a moment to create a moment. To take three seconds to like just hug your kids a little longer when you tuck them into bed. Not miss the sacred moment of being with them. Take three seconds to reflect on the blessings of this day and just slow your heart down to be grateful. How about taking three extra seconds when you come in the door that you just grab your spouse and you just lay a kiss on them and just link three more. Who knows where that might lead? Just three seconds longer. How about if you just sat in silence with God to just be with him three seconds more? Three seconds more to notice a sunset or to be grateful for a rich conversation with a good friend or to sit in awe of a beautiful painting or a song that you just heard or three seconds to just smile and encourage a stranger who crosses your path. Who would think it would be so hard to slow down? But it is. You see, to walk with God, you've got to go at a walking pace. So start now. So Jesus gives us a better way. But to become an apprentice of Jesus and to do life his way, you have to first enter into relationship with him. And if you've never done that, we want to give you that invitation this morning. Would you just bow your heads, everybody, wherever you are this morning, here or at Pahuska, that you would just take a few moments to be with the Lord and if you've never entered into a relationship with Jesus, I, I want to invite you to do that. And I want to tell you, apprenticeship in the life of following Jesus is open to anyone. You don't have to apply. All you have to do is simply recognize that you are lost, that you need a Savior, and that Jesus died on the cross for you, and he is offering to you a relationship with him and a way of doing life that has rest built into it that actually could be light and easy. And so if you've never received Jesus Christ as your Savior, I just want to lead you in a little prayer. And if you would just say these words after me and today, commit yourself to him and sign up to be his apprentice. Jesus, today, I just recognize that I need you. Today, Lord, I recognize that you and believe that you died on the cross for me. And today, I want to give you my life. I want to do life your way. I sign up to become an apprentice of Jesus and I want to have the rest that you promised. So Lord, today, I invite you into my life. If you've made that decision this morning to commit yourself to Jesus, to be his apprentice, would you just look up at me, just raise your hand? Anyone? Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Appreciate you saying yes to that. Yeah, thanks. Lord, may you teach all of us how to be apprentices and to follow you well. In Jesus' name, amen. Mary?